Chapter Fifty Two of Hallworths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Hallworths by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Chapter Fifty Two. Hallworths is done with. Almost at the same moment, Hallworth was reading in his room at the works a letter which had been left for himself. I have borne as much as I can bear, it ended. My punishment for my folly is that I am a ruined man and a fugitive. My presence upon the scene, when the climax comes, would be of no benefit to either of us. Pardon me, if you can, for the wrong I have unintentionally done you. My ill luck was surely the result of circumstances. Even yet, I cannot help thinking that there were great possibilities in my plans. But you will not believe this, and I will say no more. In haste, French. When Rachel French finished reading her note, she lighted a taper and held the paper to it until it was reduced to ashes, and afterward turned away merely a shade paler and colder than before. Hallworth having finished the reading of French's letter, sat for a few seconds, staring down at it, as it lay before him on the table. Then he burst into a brutal laugh. After that he sat stupefied, his elbows on the table, his head on his hands. He did not move for half an hour. The work saw very little of him during the day. He remained alone in his room, not showing himself, and one of the head clerks, coming in from the bank on business, went back mystified, and remarked in confidence to a companion that things had a queer look. He did not leave the works until late, and then went home. All through the evening his mother watched him in her old tender way. She tried to interest him with her history of the Briarley's bereavement and unexpected good fortune, she shed tears over her recital. So old, my dear, she said, old enough to outlived her own, and her ways a little hard, wiping her eyes. I'd like to be grieved for more, Jem, though perhaps it's only natural as it should be so. She hadn't no son to miss her, as you'll miss me. I shouldn't like to be the last, Jem. He had been listening mechanically, and he started and turned to her. The last, he said, I, it's a bit hard. It was as if she had suggested a new thought to him of which he could not rid himself at once. He kept looking at her, his eyes wandering over her frail little figure and innocent old face, restlessly. But I haven't no fear, she went on though we never know what's to come. But you're a strong man, and there's not like to be many more years for me, though I'm so well and happy. You might live a score, he answered in an abstracted way, his eyes still fixed on her. Not without you, she returned. It's you that's life to me, and strength and peace. The innocent tears were in her voice again, 
and her eyes were bright with them he lay down a while but could not lie still he got up and came and stood near her and talked and then moved here and there picking up one thing and another holding them idly for a few seconds and then setting them aside at last she was going to bed and came to bid him good night he laid his hand on her shoulder caressingly there's never been aught like trouble between us two he said i've been a quiet enough chap and different somehow when i've been nigh you what i've done i've done for your sake and for the best in the morning the works were closed the doors of the bank remained unopened and the news spread like wildfire from house to house and from street to street and beyond the limits of the town until before noon it was known through the whole countryside that french had fled and jim hallworth was a ruined man it reached the public ear in the first instance in the ordinary commonplace manner through the individuals who had suddenly descended upon the place to take possession a great crowd gathered about the closed gates and murmured and stared and anathemized there's been somewhat up for money a month said one sage i've seed it he war na hissin or na haworth nay said another that he war na the chap has na been o decent spree sin french cum happen added a third that war what started him on the road down hill a chap is na good for much as has na regular habits ay and haworth were regular now when he set up good lord who'd a thout o oh, that chappy bankruptcy at the outset the feeling manifested was not unamiable to haworth but it was not very long before the closing of the bank dawned upon the public in a new light it meant loss and ruin the first man who roused the tumult was a burly farmer who dashed into the town on a sweating horse spurring it as he rode and wearing a red and furious face he left his horse at an inn and came down to the bank booted and spurred and whip in hand where's french he shouted to the smaller crowd attracted there and whose views as in the ultimate settlement of things were extremely vague where's french and where's hallworth half a dozen voices volunteered information regarding french but no one knew anything of hallworth he might be in a dozen places but no one had yet seen him or heard of his whereabouts the man began to push his way toward the building swearing hotly he mounted the steps and struck violently on the door with his whip i'll make in here if he shut his in in there he cried the shifty villains got every shillin of brass i've been saving for my little wench for the last ten year i'll hay it back if it's to be gotten it'll ne'er see it again shouted a voice in the crowd that's better hay stuckin thou'd stockin lad then the uproar began one luckless depositor after another was added to the crowd they might easily be known among the rest by their pale faces some of them were stunned into silence 
but the greater portion of them were loud and passionate in their outcry a few women hung on the outskirts wiping their eyes every now and then with their aprons and sometimes bursting into audible fits of weeping i've been going out charin for four year said one to buy silks and satins for the gentry you never seed her in aught else and all knew whom she meant and joined in shouts of rage sometimes it was french against whom their anger was most violent french who had been born among them a gentleman and who should have been gentleman enough not to plunder and deceive them and again it was Haworth, Haworth who had lived as hard as any of them and knew what their poverty was and should have done fairly by them if ever man should in the course of the afternoon murdoch gathering no news of Haworth elsewhere went to his house a panic-stricken servant let him in and led him into the great room where he had spent his first evening long ago despite its splendor it looked empty and lifeless but when he entered there rose from a carved and satin upholstered chair in one corner a little old figure in a black dress jim Haworth's mother who came to him with a white but calm face sir were her greeting words where is he i came to see him he answered i thought no she interrupted he's not here he's not been here since morning she began to tremble but shed no tears there's been a good many to ask for him she went on gentlemen and them as was rough and didn't mind me being a woman and old they were harder than you'd think and troubled as i've been i was glad he was not here to see em but i'd be more comfortable if i could rightly understand i can only tell you what i know he said it isn't much i've only gathered it from people on the streets he led her back to her chair and did not loosen his light grasp on her hand while he told her the story as he had heard it his own mood was so subdued that it was easier than he had thought to use words which would lighten the first weight of the blow she asked no questions after his explanation was over he's a poor man she said at last a poor man but we was poor before suddenly her tears burst forth they've said hard things to me today she cried i don't believe em jem my dear now less than ever he comforted her as best he could he could easily understand what they had told her how much of the truth and how much of angry falsehood when he comes back she said i shall be here to meet him wherever he is and however much he's broke down with trouble he knows that he'll come here tonight and i shall be here before he went away he asked if he might send christian or his mother to her but though she thanked him she refused i know how good they'd be she said and what a comfort in the lonesomeness but when he comes he'll want to be alone 
and an unfamiliar face might trouble him but he did not come back the day went on and the excitement increased and waned by turns the crowd grew and surged about the bank and shouted itself hoarse and would have broken a few windows if it had not been restrained by the bully's force who appeared upon the field and there were yells for Haworth and for french but by this time mr french had reached rotterdam and Haworth was no one knew where since he had not been seen at all and when at length dusk fell upon the town the crowd had dwindled away and gone home by ones and twos and in jem Haworth's house sat his mother watching and waiting and straining her ears to catch every passing sound she had kept up her courage bravely through the first part of the day but the strangers who came one after the other and sometimes even two or three together to demand her son with loud words and denunciations and even threats were a sore trial to her some of them flung their evil stories at her without remorse taking it for granted that they were nothing new to her ears and even those who had some compunction muttered among themselves and hinted angrily at what the others spoke outright her strength began to give way and she quailed and trembled before them but she never let their words pass without a desperate effort to defend her boy then they stared and laughed at her and went away in sullen silence and she was left to struggle with her grief and terror alone until some new call was made upon her and she must bear all again when the twilight came she was still alone and sat in the darkened room battling against a dread which had crept slowly upon her of all those who had come none had known where he was they did not know in the town and he had not come back he might go she whispered but he'd not go without me he's been true and fond of his mother let them say what they will he'd never leave me here alone her thoughts went back over the years from his birth to the day of his highest success she remembered how he had fought with fate and made his way and refused to be conquered she thought of the wealth he had won the power the popularity and of his boast that he had never been beaten and she began to sob in the shadow of her corner he's lost it all she cried and he won it with his own hands and worked for it and bore up again a world and it's gone it was when she came to this point that her terror seized on her as it had never done before she got up shaking in every limb i'll go to him myself she said who should go to him but his mother who should find him and be a help to him if i can't jem jem my dear it's me that's coming to you me he had been sitting in a small back office in the bank all through the day when they had been calling and searching for him he had got in early and locked the door and waited knowing well enough all that was to come 
it was no feeling of fear that made him keep hidden he had done with fear if indeed he had ever felt it in his life he knew what he was going to do and he laid his plans coolly he was to stay here and do the work that lay before him and leave things as straight as he could and then at night when all was quiet he would make his way out in the dark and go to the works it was only a fancy this of going to the works but he clung to it persistently he had never been clearer headed in his life only sometimes as he was making a calculation or writing a letter he would dash down his work and fall to cursing there's not another chap in england that had done it he would say and it's gone it's gone it's gone then again he would break into a short laugh remembering the m p in his speech and poor french's stumbling overwhelmed reply to it when he heard the crowd shouting and hooting at the front he went into a room facing the street and watched them through a chink in the shutter he heard the red-faced farmers anathemas and swore a little himself knowing his story was true that shall have all hayworth can give chaps he muttered and welcome he'll take nout with him he laughed again but suddenly stopped and walked back into the little office silently and waited there at nightfall he went out of a back door and slipped through unfrequented byways feeling his heart beat with heavy thuds as he went nothing stood in his way and he got in as he believed he should the instant his foot crossed the threshold a change came upon him he forgot all else but what lay before him he was less calm and in some little hurry he reached his room and lighted the gas dimly only so that he could see to move about then he went to his desk and opened it and took out one of a pair of pistols speaking aloud as he did so here he said is the end of jem hallworth he knew where to aim the heavy thuds marked the spot for him i'll count three he said and then he began slowly steadily but in a voice that fell with a hollow sound upon the dead stillness one he said two and his hand dropped at his side with his weapon in it for at the door stood his mother in an instant she had fallen upon her knees and dragged herself toward him and was clinging to his hand no jem she panted no not that my dear god forbid he staggered back though she still clung to him how he faltered how did you come here the lord led me she sobbed he put it into my heart and showed me the way and you had forgot the door jem thank god you saw what i was going to do what you was going to do but what you'll never do jem and me to live and suffer when it's done me as you've been so good and such a comfort too 
in the dim light she knelt sobbing at his feet let me sit down he said and sit down nigh me i've summat to tell you but though he sank into the chair she could not get up but kept her place in spite of him and went on Today there have been black tales told you he said yes she cried but they're true he said the worst on em no no he stopped her by going on monotonously as if she had not spoken think of the worst you've ever known you've not known much and then say to yourself he's worse a hundred times think of the blackest you've ever known to be done and then say to yourself what he's done's blacker yet if any chap has told you i've stood it naught until there was next to naught i'd left undone he spoke true if there was any one told you i set the decent ones by the ears and laughed em in the face he spoke true if any of em said i was a dread and a byword they spoke true too the night you came there were men and women in the house that couldn't look you in the face and that felt shame for the first time in their lives mayhap because you didn't know what they were and took them to be as innocent as yourself there's not a sin i haven't tasted nor a wrong i've not done i've had murder in my mind and planned it i've been mad for a woman not worth even what jem haworth had to give her and i've won all i'd swore i'd win and lost it now tell me if there's aught else to do but what i've set my mind on she clung to his heavy hand as she had not clung to it before and laid her withered cheek upon it and kissed it bruised and crushed as she was with the blows he had dealt she would not let it go free yet her words came from her lips a broken cry with piteous sobs between them but she had her answer ready that as i've thanked god for all my life she said he'll surely give me in the end he couldn't hold it back i've so believed and been grateful to him if there hadn't been in you what would make a good man my dear i couldn't have been so deceived and so happy no not deceived that ain't the word jem the good was there you lived two lives maybe but one was good thank god you've been a good son to me you've never hurt me and it was your love as hid from me the wrong you did you did love me jem i won't give that up never there's nothing you've done as can stand again that with her as in your mother you loved me and was my own son my boy as was a comfort and a pride to me from the first he watched her with a stunned look you didn't believe them he said hoarsely and you don't believe me she put her hand to her heart and almost smiled it hasn't come home to me yet she said i don't think it ever will he looked helplessly toward the pistol on the table he knew it was all over and he should not use it what must i do he said in the same hoarse voice get up she said and come with me 
i'm an old woman but my heart's strong and we've been poor before we'll go away together and leave it all behind all the sorrow of it and the sin and the shame the life i thought you lived my dear is to be lived yet there's places where they won't know us and where we can begin again get up and come with me he scarcely grasped what she meant with you he repeated you want me to go now yes she answered for christ's sake my dear now he began to see the meaning and possibility of her simple woman's plan and got up ready to follow her and then he found that the want of food and the long day had worn upon him so that he was weak she put her arm beneath his and tried to support him lean on me my dear she said i'm stronger than you think they went out leaving the empty room and the pistol on the table and the dim light burning and then they locked the gate and were outside with a few stars shining above and the great black works looming up before them he stopped a moment to look back and up and remembered the key suddenly he raised it in his hand and flung it across the top of the locked gate they heard it fall inside upon the pavement with a clang they'll wonder how it came there he said they'll take down the name tomorrow. hallworth's is done with he turned to her and said come his voice was a little stronger they went down the lane together and were lost in the darkness. End of chapter 52 Recording by John Brandon